Okay, let's get started. We're in First Timothy. We've made it to chapter 5. I've got my contact information up there if you've got any questions or comments, and that helps me because it gives us a segue into the, the next chapter, so don't hesitate. We've talked about First Timothy, and the theme is how to do church, and you've seen that slide too many times. Last week, I introduced the audience to a leader, about a leader, and for leaders, and I highlighted that because that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, how First Timothy addresses you and me. First Timothy, the main thoughts, and these, these ha thoughts happen to fall in line with the chapters. First of all, pray for all men. Second of all, defending of the faith. Jesus talks about defending the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Keep order in the church. And that has so many different pieces that are not just in First Timothy. It's in First Corinthians and lots of other places. Live as an example. Again, I was once told that uh, I might be the only Bible somebody will ever read. Of course, that's a takeoff of Paul who said, we're all living epistles, read of all men. Chapter 5 is where we are today, talking about caring for other people. And then chapter 6, and the key word in chapter 6 is perseverance. And we'll see perseverance not just in chapter 6. So, introduce the notion of godliness. We've talked about that. The word godliness has not appeared anywhere in Scripture until 1 Timothy. And that's there a bunch of times. And to boil it all down, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Chapter 4, we talked about the minister or the elder and seeing the importance of teaching. Teaching what? Teaching sound doctrine. Staying true to yourself. And there it is, chapter 4, beginning perseverance to be expanded on in chapter 5. So, the highlights of chapter 5 are dealing with different age groups, dealing specifically with elders and widows, and then ultimately applying some wisdom to all that. And a lot of that wisdom will come into the, the fact that we live in a day uh, of different technology than when the epistles were first written. So, Chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So I don't know if you can see that from where you are, but verse 1 talks about rebuke an older man, and the word that they're using is the same word we use for the office, presbyter. And then down below, it talks about how you deal with a, an older woman. See verse 2? Older women as mothers. Presbyter. And so someone is going to say, aha, that's how ladies can be elders. But I've said many times, the Bible is true all the time. And so an elderette cannot be the husband of one wife. But we're... Dealing with older men, younger men, older women, younger women as family. Now, I knew a pastor. He used to pastor Nottingham Church. And he would get the people to go like this. Right? And he would say, how do your hands feel? Warm. Because of friction. He says, if you're going to be close, there's going to be friction. 
But the difference between two people that having two people having friction versus family having friction, family is forever. And we'll deal with that when we get down to the word the word brothers. Okay, talk about elders. Now, notice it talks about, in the top heading, it says, not to rebuke an older man. While it uses the word presbyter, we understand that it's an older man and not a p person holding that particular office by the context. It's talking about older men, older women, brothers, sisters, younger women. So by the context, it's talking about an older man. Now, back in the day, I've got mom and dad up there. Back in the day, you could sash your dad once. Now, for me to go and to rebuke an older man, it's just to treat him as you would your dad. Now, I've never had an opportunity to go and correct my dad. But put yourself in that position. You've got to tell your dad something that he could improve on. How would you go to your dad to say some, I'll use a heavy word, reproof. How would you go to your dad in a reproof situation? Dad, you're all wrong. <laughs> With respect, that's exactly right. With respect. Okay. Let the elder, elders, we're down in verse 17 now, and the reason I put age and office there, because by the time we get down to chapter 17, it's in the context of the office. So keep in mind, elder as an office is a subset of elder as an older man. All right? So let the elders, both age and office, rule well, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. I had an opportunity to sit, I don't know, some ceremony, uh, banquet or whatever, to a man who was the, the chaplain of Lancaster County's Juvenile Center. And he said that, nine, and he's there for like 20 some years, he said that 98% of the boys in there either never had a dad or wished they never had that particular dad. So I don't think there's a whole lot of respect in that situation, but what they're saying here is the, 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 the guy who's doing a good job should be worthy of double honor. And when we get down to verse 17, we're going to go into the laborer is worthy of his hire. But I will say this, who remembers on the radio, maybe it's still a broadcast, Ranger Bill. Okay, Ranger Bill, and they talk about all this stuff. All this in exchange for... The satisfaction and pride of a job well done. All right? But we're talking about back in the day how uh, elder respect was. We'll come up to more modern times. There's another word that's there, purity. And in fact, we're going to see purity several times. Willie and I were talking about the Chicago River and uh, St. Patrick's Day that they decided not to dye the river green this year. Uh, and however state the river is in, the green dye isn't going to help it any, right? So th that particular picture, that hand has already touched the water because of the rings. 
If that were pure water, is it still pure after it was touched? Thank you, Judy. No, no, it's not pure after you touched, right? It's like don't go looking for the perfect church because once you sign up, it's not perfect anymore. But we're going to take a look at purity. It shows up several times in First Timothy. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. I have used that verse so many, many different times because in teaching, you don't want to drive people towards legalism. You want to drive them towards motivation by love and a pure heart. Uh, I'm going to come back to the, that green word heart shortly. First Timothy 4. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We covered that last week. Now we're in the chapter 5, and that verse we've just been talking about. And then in verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. We'll come to that. And then 2 Timothy, Flee youthful lusts. Now, just like touching the water and I'm no longer pure, Paul said, Of all sinners, I'm chief. How do I get a pure heart? Cleansed by the blood. Okay, I'm cleansed by the blood, but I get dirty every day. And we covered this in a way uh, two weeks ago where I quoted 1 John 1, 9. If, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But there's a verse from the Psalms. Psalm 51 is David's psalm as he was repenting over his sins involving Bathsheba and Uriah. And he says, cleanse, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Chapter, uh, yeah, chapter. Psalms 139 talks about uh, my, my secret faults. God knows everything. He's everywhere. So, here we are. We're talking about the relationship of an elder, I said this was written to all of us, our relationship with everybody else. We've talked about men, younger men, women, younger women. I don't know how the kids fit in. I, I'm sure it's very easy to just extend this thing. But let's take a look at the women's situation. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, we're on this notion of purity, okay? I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze? King James went a little bit deeper. Think about a virgin. Think about a young woman. Now let's talk about this. I'm supposed to relate to a young lady like she's my sister in purity. And I mentioned this in the tail end of last week. You say, oh, that's disgusting, John. How can you think about that? My sister. And then I'm reminded of David's son's Absalom, whose brother pulled in his sister and raped her. Everyone in this room is capable of all kinds of evil. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, I put that question mark around widows because 
What is the dictionary definition of a woman? Uh, what is the dictionary definition of a woman who lost her husband? Okay, this comes from the dictionary. A widow is a woman whose spouse has died and who has not married again. The English language is changing. There's a language like Latin that's a dead language. It is what it is. The English language is changing. So why do you think I tweaked that definition to say male husband? That's right. And so, and, and sometimes in the LGBXYZ community, one of those lady partners is called the husband. And so male husband. Widow versus true widow. Now, this is in the context of which ladies should the church take on for support? And here's where technology makes a difference, and here's where wisdom comes in. Remember I said we're going to get to that word wisdom. When you think about, when you think about the attributes of the true widow in the context of support by the church, there's no family to support that person. That person is prayerful. You see all the good things in here. Not indulging. And who remembers J. Vernon McGee? One hand. A couple hands. Okay. He had a real strange voice. And when it came to this conversation, uh, I'm going to try to imitate his voice. He'd say, women that go to cocktail parties are not on our list back when abstinence was the rule and not the exception. So not indulging, that's all that the scripture says, so it's up to the wisdom of the, of the elders to decide what does indulging mean. Greater than 60 years old, good works, raised the family, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, and you can read those others yourself, but I want to come back to some of the different bullets. What do you do if a woman is 59 and a half years old and everything else fits? You say, come back in six months if we're not raptured? No, you don't do that. Okay, here comes the wisdom, right? What if a lady is 95 years old and she never washed somebody's feet? Washing somebody's feet is the most menial task of that day. So what that verse is saying, okay, we're going to come on board, we're going to have a, a fellowship meal. And I'll never forget Jim Hur. I don't know if any of you, you know, I'm a people watcher. Jim Hur would go around and he'd pick up trash and he'd take out the trash bag. He would look for the most menial job that needs to be done and he would do it. That's what that means. There's a lady in scripture, her name is Lydia, a seller of purple. She was well-to-do. Was she arrogant throughout her life? Did she show, well, come the hospitality. Did she show good works? And you see that both the two bottom bullets, left and right, talk about good works. Or was she somebody like a Jim and a Mim who looked for the most menial, menial things that needed to be done and they got done? Now, hospitality has also changed over the years. They didn't have the Motel 6, Marriott, whatever else. And as people traveled, Christians traveled, they had difficulty because Jewish people wouldn't let them into their inns. And Roman people, sometimes you wouldn't go on into a, a Gentile house 
because of all the craziness that's going on there. And so people would open their homes. Now, if we had a visiting preacher, I'm sure somebody would say he can come stay with us, right? But let's say that opportunity is not there. We have meal sign-ups. We've got all kinds of different things where people participate in. And that lady should be showing that she's participating in those things. Cared for the afflicted? Same situation. I will tell you, I've got two daughters that are absolutely endowed with the gift of mercy. They'll help anybody any way they can. And if you've got the gift of mercy, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Those people are always open to get kicked in the teeth. That's just the way it is. Devoted herself to every good work. Now here's the point. If a church is going to take on a widow, and that widow is now getting support, money support, work around the house support, whatever it is, she's basically on our staff. And what should that widow be doing in consideration for being on our staff? It's all right there. Okay? So now let's talk about the, the widow's family. If a widow has children or grandchildren, now the King James uses the word nephew. And it's really offspring, but nephew was a 1611 word that meant descendants. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, it's going to be interesting between that verse and I think it's verse 13 that starts putting some disclaimers on there. But she has a family. It's the family's job to take care of that lady. You know, you think about it. I came into this world with nothing, and I'm leaving the same way. I saw each of my six kids being born, and none of them came out with a wallet. Of course, they all started climbing into my own wallet, but none of them came out with a wallet. Job said, naked came I into the world, naked I'll return thither. The Lord hath given, and he's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, if there are kids there, and Job obviously took care of his kids, he had ten of them, they were adults, and he even sacrificed for them, praying for the kids in case they were unclean. So, sad to say, we don't see the kids coming around. Well, the kids were dead. We don't see Mrs. Job coming around anymore after she said, why don't you just curse God and die? Just all those other guys, they were really helpful. But if there are kids around, they should be supporting. Now, a gray head is a crown of glory. I've seen guys with this on their t-shirts. Be kind to your children, they pick your nursing home. Now, you all know my dad was a funeral director. In my younger years, we would go a few times to hospitals to pick up older people. But by the time I was moving out of the house, we would go to the hospital all the time to pick up people. The difference is, and it's not insurance or anything else like that, the difference is in the olden days, people would want to die surrounded by their families and not worried about beepers and tubes and everything else like that. 
So here we are. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. King James says worse than an infidel. That's sort of the, the, the Muslims have taken over that word. But worse than an unbelievable. Now that's in the context of taking care of mom or grandmom. But it also applies to my immediate family. And it applies to my extended family. Now, if I've got some freeloader, I don't have a, a third, bro, a second brother, so I'll just talk about my second brother, okay? If my second brother decides that he's going to just be a freeloader, What's my responsibility? Too bad for you. Now, if he happens to be disabled or he's between jobs or something like that, my responsibility is to help. Dave, you've helped. Command these things. It's not just a good suggestion that you take care of your own, take care of the extended. Command these things so that they may be without reproach. Widows less than 60 years old. I mentioned that. If they're 59 and a half or whatever, we've got to use our wisdom. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, We've got to put this into the context of what Paul is talking about here. A widow, a lady who's lost her husband. And looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I can imagine a lady who's lost her husband would say, you know, I could never love another man. I, I, just, I just can't imagine doing something like that. I'm just going to stay the way I am. And Paul encourages that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to see these verses come onto the wall. But over time, she might miss a guy for whatever the guy can offer. Okay? An embrace, support, whatever it might be. And so when they say, uh, condemnation, these are hard words, condemnation for having abandoned their former faith, that doesn't mean they left Jesus. What that means is, when that man died, they said, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to give him everything, I'm going to... I could never do that sort of a thing. But then over time, things shift. That's what that's talking about. So, verse 14. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Now, in today's age, we'd say that was sexist, right? Paul wrote it. The Holy Spirit inspired it. I'm just reading it. Now, Paul says this in chapter 7. And the reason he's saying this is he was expecting Jesus to come back during his lifetime. That doesn't change things for me because I'm expecting Jesus to come back in my lifetime too. Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows... I say that it is good for them to remain single. So here you have the top verse that's talking about I'm going to encourage them to get remarried. And here you have the bottom verse that says I encourage them to be single just as I, Paul, am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry 
than to burn with passion. So imagine a lady, she's, she doesn't have an ulterior motive because she's less than 60, she's not getting any money from the church, she wants to live for Jesus, but all of a sudden, there's this guy in church that is really an interesting guy. Paul is saying it's better to marry than to burn. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Now, worldly things. In 1 John we read, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about taking care of your man. Now, Jenny knows the kinds of food that I like. She doesn't have to worry about the dislikes because I'll eat anything. But she knows how to take care of me. If I weren't around, she would have her mindset differently. Okay? That's what that's talking about. A lady who's chosen, chosen for herself, and there, there are people that have been uh, chosen to be celibate, not everybody because the Christianity would disappear in one generation. The person who's chosen themselves to be celibate has an opportunity to think a whole lot more about the Lord than to think about the spouse and the kids. That's what that verse is talking about. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, to promote good order and to secure your individual devotion to the Lord. Because I'm married, does that mean I'm not devoted to the Lord? No. There's a verse of scripture when Jesus said, and I can't quote it exactly, so just bear with me. To love God would be like hating your family. And I've mentioned this several times, too. I love God, but I also love my family. And the example I like to use is I'm going down the Route 1 bypass, and I'm going, say, 55 miles an hour. And a car drives right past me just as if I'm standing still. Was I standing still? No, I was going 55. So what that verse is saying is, my love for God, as compared to my love for my family, it's as if they're standing still. It's as if I hated them. Elders. So we've just come through a discussion of verse 1 talks about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Then we got into widows younger widows, and now we're shifting gears and talking about the office of elders. And how do I know it's the office of the elders? When they say, do not be hasty in laying on of hands, that doesn't mean I'm going to lay, lay my hands on Sean and smack her on the face. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about ordination. Laying on of hands. Now, in reality, the only thing you're doing in ordination is putting some germs on somebody's head. But it's a picture of what God has already done. And what they're saying in this verse is, 
do not get too much of a hurry to ordain, ordain somebody. Why? Let the elders who rule, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those that labor in preaching and in teaching. The laying on of the hands done too soon could turn around and bite you. In other words, I ordain this guy, he's up and coming, he knows some scripture, he does some work around the church. Next thing you know, he's off doing something very different. Okay? For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, there's only two times in Scripture when the Bible refers to an ox, well, actually three times in Scripture, when a Bible refers to an ox and draws a parallel to a man. The first is right here. Don't let the, don't muzzle the ox. The idea there was as the ox going through helping you uh, do the harvesting, it can stop and, uh, stop and take a munch here and there. The second time was Nebuchadnezzar when for seven years he went out in the fields and he ate like an ox. And the third time comes from Proverbs. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. There comes this point in time when the mind disengages and all of a sudden the guy's going his way. Every one of us needs to be aware of that. But back to the part directly involved with First Timothy, the Bible talks about a man is, labor, uh, is worthy of his hire. Now, Paul was a tent maker to support himself, but he wasn't always a tent maker. He would be a tent maker. He did it in Corinth so that he wouldn't offend the people coming in and telling you about Jesus Christ. No, by the way, give me some cash for telling you. That wasn't Paul's point. In fact, the Macedonians, we just finished starting, uh, studying Thessalonians, they sent cash, they sent cash down to Paul so that he wouldn't have to be a full-time tent maker. And we're blessed in a church to have the resources that we do not have a tent maker pastor. And I will tell you, pastoring is not a 40-hour-a-week job. Pastoring is 24-7. And so... If a pastor has to be a tent maker, just like the, the single person has to pay attention to the spouse who takes away the devotion of the Lord, the tent maker pastor has to take away his time from study and devotion so that he could support his family. Rebuking an officer. Keep in mind that this is in that context of officers do not admit a, chain, a charge against an elder except at the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, the first verse talked about approaching an older man as your father. And if I see something in Willie, you get your turn next. If I see something in Willie that I need to talk to him about, I don't need to share what I saw with Les so that we can go to Willie. There's an escalation over there in Matthew's gospel, but I could come to Willie with respect 
like he's my dad. On the other hand, if there's an officer of the church, and these things come in degrees, right? If there's an officer in the church that's got a problem, I could take the Willie example and go to him. But if it's not working, I'm supposed to go with witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now again, here's where wisdom comes in. Here's the elder board. Somebody is out of line. And the church doesn't need to know that somebody's out of line if the thing can be dealt with as an elder board. Everybody with me? Okay. On the other hand, if it gets out of hand, you need to bring the thing before the church. Now, I heard a story of an assistant pastor who just went AWOL. And the senior pastor brought him to the church and he said, Pray for the family. You don't need to know any of the details. He will not be back. But the wife and kids might show up and they don't need to answer 10,000 questions. Now there's an example in scripture. Korah. That comes from Numbers. And he, Moses, said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who he is. So what was Korah trying to do and what happened? What was Korah trying to do? He was questioning Moses' authority. And then what happened? Well, let God decide. Okay, so how did God choose? The earth opened up. Korah, his family, his beasts, his tent... Everything got swallowed up in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. So more about the office of elder. First of all, do not be hasty in the laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. In other words, I talked about this guy that was prematurely ordained and then he went out. What if he was ordained somewhere else? And we say, yeah, we affirm that. And then he breaks, breaks out. That's the second part of that verse is talking about. Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Now, if we lived in a big city, and I wanted to go carry on, it'd be really easy for me to go carry on. Of course, it is in today's day and age, too, because I could take my car and go wherever I want to go. But in the time, okay, there are some things that become conspicuous. There are other things that pop up later. And the other side is also true. There are some good works that are conspicuous, and sooner or later, those good works come out. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said... Do your good works, let not your right hand know what your left hand, because otherwise, if you're looking for the praise of men, you've already received your reward. I want to 
to come to this last verse right here. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, that verse has been misinterpreted so many different ways. And I paid attention to that word pure. And there's that word again. No longer drink only wine. See up above, preceding verse, verse 22. It says, keep yourself pure. What that verse is saying is, Timothy was a teetotaler. He did not drink anything. However, he didn't have an iron stomach like I do. He had stomach infirmities. There was no Pepto-Bismol. There were no Tums. There was no Alka-Seltzer. So what Paul was saying is, use a little wine for your stomach's sake. Pour some of that heavy-duty wine. Get that alcohol content. Kill the bugs. And you'll still be pure. I'll end with a story about my wife's grandfather. He and I would talk all the time, and this verse came up. I said to him, so, what would you do if the doctor said, you're going to have to drink a bottle of beer every day, or you're just going to wither away and die? He said, I'd buy a case of beer, go down on my basement, and every day I'd drink the bottle of beer and follow the doctor's orders. And we'll just quit right there.